Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. I just rebuke the snow right now. I am just so tired of totally just sick of winter. It is time for spring. All right. Sweet. Wow, where did everybody go? We got to put away the chairs from the conference because it looks like everybody didn't show up today, but everybody did. We just have a lot of opening. So we'll get that done this week. I want to, um, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, in, in, it's going to be Easter. I thought uh, Richard and I were having lunch this week, and I said, yeah, I think for April 1st at House of Hope, I'm going to do a Christmas message. <laughs> So, but then I thought maybe that might wreck some people's Easter. I don't think it would. I think everybody's here is used to all the fun that we have. So, but what I want to do is I want to go through the Gospels, all four books, and I want to read the um, the resurrection story and pull out some key key thoughts that each of the authors of the Gospels gave. And there's, there's subtle differences, but there's in those differences is some amazing pieces of gold that we can actually apply. And before we actually go into Matthew, into the resurrection story of Matthew, I want to read um, just briefly the, the crucifixion, because it gives us a little bit of, a, of a, the context. And so... So Jesus, we all know the story. Jesus had gone through Jerusalem. He was on a donkey, and everybody was praising him, and they were worshiping him and throwing palm leaves and um, stuff like that. Sorry, this thing is bugging me. And and uh, he has you know he has the supper, the Passover supper with his disciples, and he goes through the the cru- crucifixion, and it's all it's horrible, and um, and then he's on the cross. And in Matthew 27, it says, I'm getting a bit of a ring. It's not, that's not what it says in Matthew. But, um, but Matthew says, for three hours, beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. And at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which I'm not sure if that's how you say it. But, but what in English, it means, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Some who were standing near the cross misunderstood stood Jesus, and he said, he's calling for Elijah. One, um, one bystander ran and got a sponge and soaked it with sour wine and put it on a stick and held it up for Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. And Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath, and gave up his spirit. In other renderings of the gospel, it, Jesus said, it is finished. So he started off this whole process on the cross Basically saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And we've taken that over the years that we've learned that, we've taken that, that verse saying that God is so holy that he can't look upon sin. He's so like he just couldn't handle all the sin that was being poured out on Jesus. And I would, I would propose to you that we've actually been taught this wrong because what Jesus was doing is he was quoting Psalm 22. And in the culture of the time, when a teacher would start to quote something out of the, out of, we, we call it the Bible, but out of the Torah, um, then it was understood because everybody knew the Bible of that time. I'm going to say they knew the scriptures. And so when Jesus started his, his, his speaking, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everybody present knew that he was actually referring to David's Psalm 22. Because that's how Psalm 22 starts. And then when he said, it is finished, that's how Psalm 22 ends. And Psalm 22 is, is one of those amazing scriptures that actually points to the cross. And it was a fulfillment of the prophetic word given by David for the cross hundreds of years prior. Let's just look at a couple of, of um, verses in Psalm 22. It says, Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why would you abandon me now? And then it goes on, why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? Yet I know that you are the most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our father's faith was in you through the generations. They trusted and they believed in you and you came through. Every time they cried out to you in their despair, you were faithful to to deliver them and didn't disappoint them. But now look at me. Look at me now. I'm a woeful worm, crushed and bleeding crimson. I don't even look like a man anymore. I've been abused, despised, and scorned by everyone, mocked by their jeers, despised with their sneers, as all the people poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, Is this the one who trusted in God? Is this the one who claims that God is pleased with him? Now let's see if your God will come to your rescue. We'll just see how much he delights in you. Lord, you delivered me safely from my mother's womb, and you are the one who cared for me ever ever since I was a baby. Since the day I was born, I've been placed in your custody, and you've cradled me throughout my days. I've trusted you, and and you've always been my God. So don't leave me now. Stay close to me. For trouble is all around me and there's no one else to help me. I'm surrounded by many violent foes. Mighty forces of evil are swirling around me who want to break me to bits and destroy me. Curses pour from their mouth. They're like ravenous roaring lions tearing their prey. Now I'm completely exhausted. I'm spent. Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My courage has vanished and my inward parts have melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched, dry as a bone. My, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and now you've left me in the dust for dead. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Like a pack of wild dogs, they tear at me, swirling around me with their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and my feet. All my bones stick out. Look at how they all gloat over me and stare. With a toss of the dice, they divide my clothes amongst themselves, gambling for my garments. Lord, my God, please don't stay far away. For you are the only one might, for you are my only might and strength. Won't you come quickly to my rescue? Give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the powers of these demons. Save me 
from the power of the enemy, from the roaring lion raging against me and the power of his dark horde. I will praise your name before all of my brothers. As my people gather, I will praise you in their midst. Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. Let the true seed of Jacob Jacob, glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offspring of Israel, for he has not despised my cries of deep despair. He's my first responder to my sufferings. He didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time, listening to the song of the afflicted. You're the reason for my praise. It comes from you and goes to you. I will keep my promise to praise you before all who fear you among the congregation of your people. I will invite the poor and broken, and they will come and they will eat until satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise, and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow with life forever. From the four corners of the earth, the people of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all who takes charge of the nations. There they are. They're worshiping. The wealthy of this world will feast in fellowship with him right alongside the humble of heart, bowing down to the dust, forsaking their own souls. They will come and they will worship this worthy king. His spiritual spiritual seed will serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him and they will all declare it is finished that's an amazing picture of what jesus went through and yet nowhere in there does it say that oh god can't look at sin it's this is how i'm feeling this is all the things that jesus went through and he's the first responder And so it's almost we need to shift this thing that it doesn't matter what we have done or what we are in the middle of or the condition of our heart. He loves us and he is the first responder to us no matter what our situation. No matter what we are walking through, no matter what ways we are violating love or sinning, he is still with us and he is is delivering us and he is walking us through this time. Because if he did it with Jesus on the cross, it was part of the process and it was amazing. And that's for us today. So when he said it is finished, it meant way more than than I think what we've been led to believe. (coughs) Excuse me. So I'm going to read now from from Matthew 28. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Lots of scripture today. I think, why not? It's awesome. (laughs) So after the Sabbath ended, the first light of dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to take a look at the tomb. Suddenly the earth shook violently beneath their feet, and the angel of the Lord Jehovah descended from heaven. Lightning flashed around him, and his robe was dazzling white. The guards were stunned and terrified, lying motionless like dead men. Then the angel walked up to the tomb, rolled away the stone, and sat on top of it. Now, most of you know my mind is somewhat crazy, in a good way. 
I have this picture of this crazy angel flying down from heaven, like, like almost like a cartoon, but he was almost like this, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, 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 we picture the angels as all stately and, you know, and having it together. But I have this picture of this angel who came down and he was just, he was excited. He was, he was extravagantly um, just out there you know, flying hair and, and, and just like coming down. And, and, and it's like, it's, it's the first time in hundreds of years that he could actually appear to people. And, and he just looked at the soldiers that were there and he's like, Bleh! and they're just like down on the ground. And, and he's like, Wah! and he touches the stone and it just kind of goes, Bleh! and he hops up there like a kid in a candy store. And he just waits. Like, How you doing? This is awesome. Whoop, whoop. And the women were breathless and terrified until the angel said to them, Hey, there's no reason to be afraid. I know you're here looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has risen victoriously, just like he said. Come inside. Check this out. Come here. Check it out. The tomb. Check out the tomb. Come inside the tomb. See the place where our Lord was lying. And then run and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. I give you his message. He told me to say this to you because he's so much alive. This is awesome. He says, I'm going ahead of you to Galilee, and you'll see me there. What is, what is like, could you imagine? It's like, I'm going to give you a message from Jesus. <gasps> okay, what's the message? Go to Galilee. It's like, go to Yak. <laughs> That's the equivalent of... That's the equivalent of what he was like, go to Yak, meet me in Yak, and you're going to see some amazing things. So they rushed quickly to tell his disciples, and their hearts were deep with wonder, but they were filled with great joy. Along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them and, and, and said, rejoice, or be joyful, rejoice. It's be happy again, rejoice, be happy again. And they were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and they grasped his feet in adoring worship. And Jesus said to them, throw off your fears. Throw off all your fears. What powerful words. Throw off all your fears. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they're going to find me there. So Jesus was so excited I mean, he gave the message to the angel, and the angel was excited. And then, and then he just got excited because there was two of the women that he loved. And he's like, oh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to beat them to Galilee anyway, but i got to tell them myself. Oh, wait a minute. What are you doing on the ground? This is me we're talking about. I'm your friend. I've, I'm your savior. I'm, but we have this relation. Why are you bowing? You're like, Stand up. Don't be terrified. Throw off all your fears. In other words, come and embrace me. Now, he didn't because later on in the other gospel, he says, don't, don't cling on to me because I haven't ascended to my father. He says that in John. But it's like we have something here that other people don't have. We have relationship. So throw off your fears. I'm not a ghost. I am not dead. I'm alive. Now I'm going to meet you in Galilee. See who gets there first. And he leaves. <clears throat> And then we're going to transition to Mark. 
This is one of the shortest books, uh, shortest gospels. It's only 15, 16 chapters long. And Mark was, um, you know, he, he condensed. It's like Mark is the Coles Notes version of the gospels. He hit all the highlights and he was very probably quite analytical because he just like, give me the details. And so he says on the first day of the week, as the Sabbath was ending, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jacob, and Salome, so there's three girls. Thank you, sorry. Made their way to the tomb. It was very early in the morning and the first streaks of light were beginning to be seen in the sky. So again, he was just he's a little bit more detailed, kind of paints the picture. They had pur- purchased aromatic embalming spices that they may anoint his body. And they had been asking one another, who can roll away the heavy stone from, from us, for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they arrived, they discovered that the very large stone had been sealed, had, which had been sealed had already been rolled away. And that they, as they stepped into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right dressed in a long white robe. The women were startled and amazed. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen victoriously. Look, see the place where they laid him? Now run and tell his disciples, even Peter. I think that's funny. Run and tell his disciples, even Peter. I don't know if the angel didn't like Peter or it was like, yeah, even, yeah, include Peter. He's a bit of a jerk, but hey, you know what? Jesus said he was going to build his church with him, so I guess we'll have to include him too. I lost my place. Even Peter, that he is risen. He's gone ahead of you um, into Galilee, and you'll see him there just like he told you. The lady staggered out of the tomb, awestruck, with their minds swirling, and they ran to tell the disciples but they were so afraid and deep in wondered that they said nothing to anyone. So another slant on the same story. This one, instead of sitting on top of the rock going, surprise, the angel was inside the tomb and he's like, surprise. But they're a little bit more detailed, a little bit more, wow, this is something we, we, oh, we're not going to say anything. So earlier on the first day of the week, after raising, rising from the dead, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven seven demons. After she had seen Jesus, she ran to tell his disciples, who were all emotionally devastated and weeping. Excitedly, Mary told them, He's alive, and I've seen him. But even after hearing this, they didn't believe her. After this, Jesus then appeared to two of the disciples, who were on their way to another village, appearing in the form that they did not recognize. They went back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples but they didn't believe it was true. Then Jesus appeared before the 11 apostles as they were eating a meal. He corrected them for having lunch. No, (laughs) he corrected them for having such a hard, unbelieving hearts because they did not believe those who saw him after his resurrection. It's like he was saying to them, throw off your fears. Like you didn't believe. What's the biggest sin? Unbelief. Because it, it, it contradicts the big, it, it, it violates love. 
if Jesus does something in our lives, if he's, if he is active in our lives and he is speaking to us and, and teaching us, if we don't believe what he's done, we're violating love. If I get healed from something and I go, that couldn't have been God, that was just coincidence, I'm violating what he has done in my life. If he's delivered me some, from something, uh, a behavior or something that is like a, something that is like I'm struggling with, and I find myself with strength in that, if I don't give him the credit, and if I don't believe that it was actually from him after I've asked for it, then I'm violating love through unbelief. So he rebuked the disciples for not believing what the women had said. There's a whole other sermon in that somewhere. And then he said to them, go into the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news will be baptized and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will will lay hands on the sick and heal them. And then after saying these things, Jesus was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere as the Lord himself consistently worked with them, validating the message they preached with miracle signs that accompanied them. That's awesome. All right. Take three. This is Luke 24. Very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb, carrying spices that they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, Jesus' mother. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside, so they went to look. Both the tomb was empty, and the body of Jesus was gone. Okay, so this is the third difference. First one being the angel was sitting on top of the tomb, tomb uh, door. Next one, he was inside. And uh, this recount is like he wasn't there. There's nobody there. The lights were on, but nobody's home. They stood there, stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white robes, shining like lightning, appeared above them. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, why do you look for the living one in a tomb? He's not here, for he is risen. Have you forgotten what he said to you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man is destined to be handed over to sinful men to be nailed to a cross. And on that day he will rise again. All at once they remembered his words. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard. When the disciples heard the testimony of the women, it made no sense. And they were unable to believe what they had heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside to discover it was empty, and there was only the linen sheet lying there. Staggered by this, he walked away, wondering what it meant. I think that's why the other angel said, even tell Peter, because Peter was a little bit thick. 
Later that Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking to Jerusalem from Emmaus, a journey about 17 miles. They were in the middle of a discussion about the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them on in their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside of them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and so gloomy. They stopped, and the one named Cleopas answered, Haven't you heard? Are you the one, the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the past few days? Jesus asked, what, what things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priests and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We had all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They, they said they went to the tomb and they found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the women said, but no one has seen him. And Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to experience all these things and then afterwards to enter into his glory? Then, and this is a beautiful piece, then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scriptures. He basically at that point started from Genesis and he went to Malachi with Psalms and Proverbs and every reference to himself he and he laid out the entire story of the plan for the people. That's, that's stunning to me. That he would, t in, this, in this moment, he would go from, why are you so thick-headed, to doing something that completely just prepared them for the future. There was no parables. There was no talking in riddles. He knew his time was short. And it was like, okay, this is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he laid it out. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to know about me. And he's been doing that with us ever since. As we sit down with Jesus and we go, I don't understand it. Jesus says to us, why are you so thick-headed? Like, get over yourself. Come on, let's look at this. And he's just, he's, he's simple and yet he's deep. He's, he's extravagant. And yet he sometimes holds back. He holds back. If he was to give us everything that we, we possibly could need, want, as far as healing or, you know, all of the things that we long for, all of the things that we desire to do, if he would just go, oh, yeah, you can have all that, we would die. We couldn't handle the blessing of him giving us everything that we want. And that's why it's called process. And that's why we receive things as we grow and as we mature. Because he prepares us. A vessel, if, if I poured two cups of, of boiling water into a one cup container, I would get burned. But then he teaches us and he expands our capacity to receive and he pours two cups of boiling water into a four cup container and it contains us and, we're, and we do whatever we need to do with it. 
But he had that, he had that passion to, to make sure that the ones that he was entrusting with his word knew it. And so then as they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead telling them he was going to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and they pleaded, stay with us. It's going to be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village, joining them at the table for supper. He took bread and he blessed it and he broke it again and he gave it to them. And it was like all at once their eyes were opened and they remembered and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly, in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, Why didn't we recognize it? It was him. Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while he walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelations from scriptures. And then they left once again, hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. And then they found the eleven Of the other disciples altogether, they overheard them saying, it's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. (laughs) See, there again. He even appeared to Peter. (laughs) Then the two disciples told the others what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus, and how Jesus had unveiled, unveiled himself and broke bread with them. And then Jesus appears to them again, and he says, don't be afraid. Be at peace. I'm the living God. Don't be afraid. Why would you be so frightened? Don't let doubt or fear enter your hearts. And this is where he speaks his identity. He said, for I am. I am the God of Moses. I am the God of Joshua. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of you. And he, 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 he said, see for yourself it is I, standing here alive. Touch me and know that the wounds are real, that I have a body of flesh and bone. And then he does a little bit more with them. All this to, to show that Jesus was so personable and so connected with the people that he loved. He took the time to unpack the scriptures. He took the time to actually have a meal. You know, if it was me, I'm, I, I can be very focus driven and very, like very, um, Dan calls it event driven. If I get, I get more, I get more like focused on the event than I do the people, you know, it could be a birthday party or it could be a, just a, just a dinner party or something. And I, and I'm, I'm way better than I was when I was younger, totally way better. But I, I can get so focused. And, and Dan and I have a look now, like if, if, I'm, if I'm going off the handle and, and you know, she just kind of looks at me and she's like, event? And I was like, oh, crap, yep. And it was like, Phew. But Jesus wasn't like that. He took the time. He's like, I, you know, if it was me, I would be like, I have things to do. I only have a set amount of time. I'm on the earth. I've got to get this, 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 then this done. I've got to speak to this and this. And two guys on the road... They're full of fear. They're going to be full of fear forever, so I'm just going to ignore them. And I'm going to go to the guys that I know will get the message. That's not Jesus. He took the time. And he does that with each of us. Because there is nobody in his family that is less important that he won't take the time to for and open up what we need. 
He is not event-driven. And so he took that time. And, I, and we can pull that on this Resurrection Sunday, the things that, the things that we are struggling for, with, the things that we just don't understand, the things that we still are, like, are walking through. We can literally sit down and picture Jesus face-to-face and go, what is up? Why am I going around this mountain again? Why am I, like, what is, what is going on here? And Jesus will look at you and say, throw off that fear and hang out with me for a while. Here, take some bread. Here, take a cracker. Have some chocolate. I like beef, but I'm partial to fish. And just take that time with you because that's who he is. But sometimes we get so event-driven. Sometimes we get so caught up in, our, in our, the whirlwinds of our life that we forget to sit down and go, yo, Jesus, it's been a while. I'm so sorry. You've been wanting to talk to me, haven't you? Yep. Great. Well, how about it? And it's no, there's no shame. We've been taught. We haven't talked to Jesus in months, then there's some shame. You need you shame on you. Right? No, no, no shame on me. Jesus is just waiting. Because that's what he did on the day he was resurrected. Okay. Do we have time for the last one? Take four. John twenty. Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could could, to go tell Peter, Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, which was John, who wrote this. Um, Just throwing that out there. Go tell Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. She told him, they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb and we don't know where he is. Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up, ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He didn't enter the tomb, but he peeked in. And, and saw only the linen cloths lying there. Then Peter came behind him, and he went right into the tomb. He, no, he too noticed that the linen cloths had been lying there, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head actually had been rolled up and placed separate from the other cloths. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, and after one look, he believed. <laughs> so, highlight. John is speaking. It's like Peter didn't believe. I had one look. I knew it was. I knew it would happen. Like I had this together. Peter may have beat me to the tomb. Mary may have told Peter first, but there was no contest. I knew it was going on. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Puzzled. 
Peter and the other disciples then left and went back to their home. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked. Mary answered, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize that it was him. She said, he said to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking it was the gardener. Sir, if you've taken his body somewhere else, tell me and I will go. And, and this is where it becomes amazing. Mary. Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, Rabboni, which is Aramaic for my teacher. And then Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold on to me now, for I haven't yet ascended to God my Father. And he's not only my Father and God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go to my brothers, tell them what I've told you, that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now this is the thing that got me. I was reading this this morning and I was totally just, every time I read this passage, I'm stunned. Because with one word, Jesus spoke, all of the fears went away. And what did Jesus speak? Her name. Mary. And all of a sudden, the lights were on. Mary. And all of a sudden, the fear was gone. Mary. He was speaking not only her name, but he was speaking his identity into her so that she remembered who she was. And he does that for us. We can get so tied up in our daily lives. My business is failing. My marriage is failing. My kids are rebelling, whatever it is. And Jesus simply has to speak one word, and that's our name. Jeff. Pam. Ken. And our identities are reset. And it becomes, oh, and it's not angry. It's not, a, it's not speaking our name to, 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 to in anger, like a, sometimes a frustrated parent does. Andrew, David, you know, Madeline, Esther, Joy. No, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's a name full of love and of enlightenment because he's reminding us of our identity in him because we've been named and he's our father and he's his father And so when he says, Jill, it's like, everything gets washed off. Kathy, everything gets washed off. Rock, it's like you're a son. You're in my family. My father is your father. This is who I am. This is who you are. Come, let's do this together. And Mary lost her fear. All those things that she was sensing, it was gone in the breath of her name. Then Mary left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she gave him his message. And that evening, the disciples gathered together and they were all still afraid. Not, though they were afraid of the reprisals from the Jewish leaders. They had locked the doors to the place where they had met, but suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. And what's the opposite of peace? 
here. He's like, peace. So the biggest theme or one of the biggest themes in the four gospels is Jesus is saying to us, fear not. Cast off your fear. Peace to you. Peace. And he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord. And Jesus repeated his greeting. Peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. The people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. And then he goes on and has a chat with Thomas and, and all that. But isn't this amazing that 100, or I think it was 120 days later after he ascended, no, not 120 days. Is it 120 days? The day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, the apostles that were there, that the, tw- the, the 11 that were there had already encountered the Holy Spirit because he breathed on them and said, receive. And so they were empowered and, they, and then they, the, Jesus empowered them to do the things that he was calling him to do. See, his resurrection power wasn't just that he came up from the dead, but then he just, he equipped them to do the things that he knew needed to be done. He gave them the tools necessary. He gave them one, he, he restored relationship, and two, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we have to hang on to, that he's doing that to us every day. He's empowering us with relationship, and he's empowering us with the Holy Spirit to do the things that he's called us to do. To speak, like, like Steve said last week, to encourage people daily, to find that one person that we can encourage and give a word that changes the course of their life. Because why? How? Fear is no longer part of who we are. And if it is, he asked Jesus to speak your name, to clear the air. Like they say, when, a lightning, when, when lightning goes through the atmosphere, it actually ch- clears the atmosphere. That's why it's kind of so cool after a storm, when after a big lightning storm, you can go out and you can smell the ozone and smell the smell and everything is clear. The pollution is gone. He needs to speak our name and clear the atmosphere so we actually do the things that we're called to do and not be afraid. Because what is it that holds us back from giving an encouraging word? Fear. But on a Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate the glory of Jesus rising from the dead. And we could have, I could have gone so many ways. There's so much more to unpack as far as his resurrection. But just to see how the four writers of the gospel interwove their stories and gave different details, and some of the details don't jive, and it doesn't really matter because it was through their perspective. It doesn't matter if in one account that the angel was sitting on top and in another account the angel wasn't even there until afterwards. It doesn't really matter It just shows that there is creativity and that we all see Jesus from a different perspective. But he says it to us. He still says our name. And he still calls us to himself. And he still says, don't be afraid. And I think that's one of the most amazing things of a resurrected Lord is that he is still connected with us 
and he is still speaking to us, don't be afraid. Because he says, I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. And what is the end of, of, of what age? That's a mystery. But he's going to be with us. All right? Ready for lunch? Let's stand. Shake off your... I only put a couple of you to sleep. That's good. That's a bonus. Oops. So what I'd like to do this morning, just as a, as a bit of an activation, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to ask Jesus. I want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you. And I want you to look up. And I want you to look into the eyes of love. And I want you to ask Jesus to say your name. And allow him as he says your name. Allow the love that Jesus has for you to wash over you. So Jesus, would you do that? Would you just say our name? The Holy Spirit, just come and solidify that in our spirit. Let this day be a remembering day of the day that Jesus spoke our names and that we can go back to this moment and remember the tenderness, the care, the love that Jesus spoke to us as he called us and as he said our names. Amen? Amen. All right. That was fun. I think Jesus spoke to you in a way that he's never spoken to some of you before. I think that's awesome. All right, let's break. We'll have some lunch. You're welcome to join us. Happy Easter. Happy ham or turkey lunches, dinners. Go find your Easter eggs or do whatever you're doing and enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.